smartcast.com This is the morning brief from the Economic Times produced in collaboration with avaaz.com Honorable speaker the preparation of this budget was undertaken in circumstances like never before When Finance Minister Nirmala Sitaraman rose to present the budget at 11 a.m. on Monday, it was supposed to be a budget like never before. Those were her words, not mine. But coming on the back of a pandemic year in which unemployment peaked and GDP is expected to shrink 7.7%, it would be no exaggeration to say there was a lot riding on budget 2021-22. Once the budget was announced, The stock market signaled approval with the Sensex rising over 2300 points. But apart from that thumbs up, has the budget lived up to expectations? What were the highlights the FM announced and is the roadmap that the budget outlined a feasible one to lift the Indian economy out of the doldrums? That's what we'll be discussing in today's episode. From the Economic Times, I'm Indulekha Arvind and you're listening to the Morning Brief. To help us decode the key takeaways of budget 2021-22, I have with me Shugoto Ghosh, chief editor of news with the Economic Times, and Maitli Bhushnurmat, consulting editor with ET. Thank you both for joining us. Before we get into the details, Maitli, could you tell us what your two biggest takeaways are from the budget? Uh, well, I think the first big takeaway really is that for the first time almost ever since the pandemic hit us. the government has not been niggardly about spending on the contrary it has been very generous about its spending so as against a fiscal deficit of 3.5% which it had targeted we are actually going to end up at 9.5% of gdp so that's almost a threefold increase in the fiscal deficit that means the excess of expenditure over its receipts so government is finally realized that if you want to create spur growth you need to give some stimulus at a time when the private sector is not investing there is no alternative but for the government to spend so that i think is the first big takeaway that the government has finally shed its reserves and it's willing to spend number one mm-hmm. number two it is spending on the right things so it's spending on capex on capital expenditure essentially in the context of today's environment on healthcare especially the vaccine rollout where it set aside 35000 crores and also on infrastructure so for me these are the two big takeaways and all this without really raising taxes except for the agriculture infrastructure there is really no other tax the government is raising almost all this is going to be funded through increased borrowing which at a time when there is so much money available in the world economy and interest rates are so low should not really be a big problem so the idea is that if the government spends the economy will grow and once the economy grows we'll get into the virtuous cycle all right shubhato what about you what were your two biggest takeaways well the government has so far demonstrated a fiscal conservativeness and now it has taken a call to spend now either it has seen the writing on the wall or it's a deliberate strategy as was spelled out in the economic survey but spending a large amount of money as capex is not easy i mean a lot would depend on how quickly the various ministries and departments roll out the projects pays the vendors and let the money flow into the system to create demand so that is the big challenge and uh, therein the government has taken a lot of responsibility on itself and how it does it is important because unlike other years uh, you announce a lot of expenditure and you don't actually spend you can get away and you show a lower fiscal deficit 
But this year it's different. There's a greater compulsion on the government to spend because the growth has crashed. And uh, the second takeaway for me is the set of measures in the financial services sector, including the 74% FDI in insurance and uh, thinking of ways to generate long-term finance for infrastructure, mm-hmm. for which, uh, sadly, we still don't have a clear bankable model. But here again, all depends on how they go carrying it about. Sure. And I'm glad you mentioned the financial sector here because I was going to ask you, the FM has, of course, announced a privatization of two public sector banks and a general insurer, as well as the setting up of a bad bank or an asset reconstruction company. How significant are these announcements? Having made clear that it would not be throwing money to keep afloat state-owned institutions, uh, the government has no choice but to find buyers or lower its stake in state-owned banks. Now, it will be interesting how this story plays out. These are institutions with very different culture and the kind of investors that step in and the governance that they put in place will make a lot of difference. Now, here with the government says divestment, uh, it has not used the word privatization, but the government, when the government says divestment, will it retain the stake at 26% and have the right to block special resolution or will it sell out entirely? It's not yet clear because the government can't go on calling the shots after you divest. It's very important to see what kind of investors step in. While Indian business houses may be interested in owning banks because uh, there is a great feeling uh, about a business group owning a bank because 50, 60 years back, all these families used to own banks. But only a few have managed to run financial services efficiently. Their uh, record in uh, running financial services has not exactly been stellar. And uh, coming to your other point, uh, the bad bank, as you're saying, or reconstruction company, well, it's a long-awaited decision. And uh, what, simply put, what it does is that it takes over the bank's sticky loans and leaves the bank to focus on its core business of lending. But then we have had multiple ARCs. And in the past few years, there hasn't been too many loan sale deals. Now, why? Now, that's because the bank's fear of being hounded later are too scared to sell loans at a low price, even if it is the realistic price. So ideally, the government should not only invest in these ARCs, it should hold back its investigative agencies from going after banks who sell loans and not question why did you sell loan at this price. And that's necessary because if you really want to build an active stress asset market or a junk bond market, you should let the banks freely sell loans. Because today what's happening the banks are not uh, selling loans to ARCs and they are taking a call that it will go to the bankruptcy code. And even if they have to take a huge haircut, let it be, but that's the safest choice. Sure. So evidently a mere announcement that an ARC is going to be set up might not be sufficient. Now, last year, we saw job losses running into millions because of the pandemic and job creation remains one of the biggest concerns in the India story. Michael, how does the budget address this? Oh, well, it doesn't really address it directly. Mm-hmm. But to the extent that when you spend on infrastructure, now infrastructure is something that really results in a large number of jobs being created, and that's at the bottom of the pyramid because it's essentially construction that picks up, gets the biggest kick up, as it were. Of course, at the same time, the government has increases allocation for things like MSMEs, for agriculture, and all these things will increase jobs. And at the end of the day, one must realize that if the economy grows, you will normally see jobs also increase. Of course, there has been this argument that India has seen jobless growth. 
But that is, doesn't mean say that, you know, whenever the economy grows, no jobs are created. It's quite possible that jobs are not created to that commensurate degree. But when you spend on infrastructure, as I said, construction is one of the biggest spin-offs from infrastructure spending. And that is where you will create jobs and for jobs for those who are unskilled at the bottom of the pyramid. And that, I think, will take care of a great deal of, you know, potential job losses that had, did happen during the pandemic. And of course, if the economy grows, prosperity will increase and jobs will increase all around. Shagata, coming back to you, there was wide anticipation before the budget that, you know, there would be a COVID cess to help the government shore up revenue. But ultimately, there was no such announcement in the budget. Does that come as a relief? Well, if you read the fine print, uh, there was no COVID cess on direct tax, but the mm-hmm. budget nonetheless has figured a way out to tax the people in the higher income bracket in another way. Because uh, any uh, provident fund contribution beyond 2.5 lakh, the interest on that extra amount will now come under taxation. So this is the first time a provident fund element is being taxed. Now, this may not uh, impact a large uh, section of the population, but still it will uh, impact uh, quite a few because only 2% or 3%, uh, less than 3% people pay income tax. So people in the higher income bracket will be affected. Now, this is a trend which the government has followed because if you have seen that there has been surcharge introduced in the earlier budgets on income above one crore. So uh, it is in line with that. But uh, if you ask me, there is an element of disappointment because nothing has come for the bottom of the pyramid or for the middle class because there is no tax deduction, higher deduction, standard deduction or Uh, LIC premium, or any other way to lower the tax burden. Because after a very dismal year, after a grim year with a lot of uncertainty and cut in salaries and other things, there was some anticipation that uh, there would be a higher disposable income in the hands of the salary. But uh, that hasn't come. Yes, absolutely. As you rightly said, there was quite a bit of hope on that front. But what do you make of the market's reaction to the budget? I mean, the Sensex soaring above with a gain of 2,300 points. The market, if you take, when you talk about the market, is the equity market, right? So the equity market, as of now, it is not thinking about the fiscal deficit. It is not thinking about uh, a rating downgrade. It is just focusing on growth. Now, if you see the bond market, the bond market, the bond prices have crashed and the yields have gone up, right? So the, uh, because that is because the higher borrowings. But as far as the equity market is concerned, they think that the government will spend its way out uh, it has come as a uh, maybe a pleasant surprise uh, from a government which has demonstrated a strange uh, fiscal conservativeness. One of the most fiscally conservative government it has been. Sure. So that's what basically the markets were cheering on. The other big challenge before the government is, of course, reviving demand through spending. Maithili, both you and Shugoto spoke about government spending earlier, but could you elaborate a little more about the provisions in the budget for this? Well, I think, you know, the whole thing is a bit of a chicken or egg situation that if you spend and if the economy grows, incomes will increase and demand will increase. At the moment, the problem is that demand has not picked up primarily because there have been so many job losses. Also, because as long as you have these restrictions in place, because agreed, there is no lockdown. But to the extent that the virus is very much there 
and you have the requirements of social distancing, wearing masks, etc., the services sector, which contributes almost 60% of our GDP, is not going to pick up because the services sector is much more dependent on interpersonal interactions. So when you go to a barber, you can't have a virtual haircut. You have to go to the barber. He has to be standing literally over your head and he'll be breathing into your, 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 into your ears, into your mouth, everything as it were. So it's important that we understand that till such time as the restrictions and the fear factor because of the coronavirus remain, the services sector, which is accounts for almost 60% of the GDP, is not going to grow. Fortunately, the services sector is not the sector that employs a large number of people. It is agriculture that employs a large number of people. And to the extent that the agricultural sector has done fairly well in the past two years, and government has increased, in fact, the spending on agriculture, hopefully, I think you will find demand pick up. As I said, it's a chicken or egg situation. If the economy grows, demand will grow. And if demand grows, the economy will grow. So which comes first, chicken or egg, one can't say. <laughs> so hopefully, since the government has the ability to borrow, it also has the ability to print as a sovereign. So the government can also always stimulate demand. And that really is a hope that if it stimulates demand, you will find demand picking up. And then when demand picks up, private sector investment will also pick up as companies run up against capacity utilization. Coming back to what you just said about the fact that the government is planning to borrow more, do you expect this to impact India's rating by credit rating agencies? And I'm asking this also because, you know, we saw the economic survey being rather critical of uh, these rating agencies' views of India. Uh, well, I think the economy, uh, economic survey is bang on, but I've always held this view that the rating exercise is not purely a, a dispassionate economic analysis. There is a great deal of a political economy element. Mm-hmm. So the fact remains that our rating has always been lower than what our macroeconomic fundamentals would warrant. At the same time, the fact is that today virtually every other country is running huge fiscal deficits. Their debt to GDP ratio is much higher than ours. Of course, it really wouldn't be correct to compare India with the US because the US can just print those pretty green dollar bills and the whole world wants them. So we don't have that advantage. But even so, I think the fact that we are going, we are one of the most rapidly growing economies and as for the IMF estimates, Next year, we will again become the fastest growing economy in the world. Of course, we're talking from very low bases and we're talking about a country which still has about 20% of its population below poverty line. So nothing to crow about. So the, but the fact remains that rating agencies are likely to look on us kindly, even if we have these large fiscal deficits, simply because, as I said, the whole world has had large fiscal deficits. At the end, and at the end of the day, what matters is not what the rating agencies say, but what the markets and investors believe. Because you look at most of the foreign portfolio investment and foreign direct investment, we have money coming in hand over fist. In fact, our problem right now is that we have more inflows than we know what to do with. So to the extent that rating agencies are not taken too seriously by overseas investors, I don't think we need to worry unduly about rating agencies. What we do need to worry about really is inflation. And that is something that I think is perhaps the government would also need to worry. And the government and the RBI also particularly because there is as it is excess liquidity, if government is going to add to demand, we could find high inflation coming back to haunt us. And that could be a big worry going forward for a government which is, you know, a democratically elected government and where people for whom the consumption basket, food items and inflation are very, very important. So that I think is the biggest worry at the moment. Absolutely. And that's definitely something that we need to watch out for. My final question, and this is to both of you, Michael, coming to you first, uh, I mean, I quite enjoyed your column where you spoke about, you know, the budget not being a magic wand. But were there any major disappointments in this budget? I think the major disappointment really wasn't, you know, disinvestment. 
because this has really been one big puzzle at a time when private companies seem to find it not difficult to raise money at all you have almost unknown companies raising money through ipos through offers for sale the stock market is booming even today it's gone up you know such a by such a humongous amount yes. why is it the government of india which is the most credible of all how can any private company compare with government of india in terms of credibility so why does government of india find it so difficult to raise money i have found it impossible to understand why government of india cannot raise 2.1 lakh crores when private companies have raised over 7 lakh crores that is something that clearly shows that there's something about the government's approach to the whole thing they just perhaps i wouldn't use the word laid back but maybe too bureaucratic too caught up in red tape and they're not able to seize the moment and this is what you should do when money is available cheap people are willing to invest people are willing to put their risk risk capital available this is when you need to go out and disinvest and what government needs to realize that when they talk of disinvestment it needs to be very clear that disinvestment does not mean that we will sell some shares and still call the shots which is what they try to do with air india when you disinvest you need to step away completely as the government did with maruti as it did with hindustan zing balco in many ways so that is a lesson that you need to take the government has passed a policy decision about strategic investment and not being in a business where government has no right to be but i wish they would walk the talk on that of course and we also saw the uh, government pairing the disinvestment target for the coming year shubhato what about you well i would say the disappointment would be uh, i would have been happier if uh, there was a little more disposable income in the hands of the uh, salaried class particularly the middle class and while the government has said a lot of things about uh, uh, creating a safety net or insurance or some protection for the migrant laborers and uh, the unorganized sector mm-hmm. but uh, we'll have to see the details we still don't know how this will happen as with everything evidently a lot of details are yet are still awaited but mightily shugato thank you so much for joining us in this discussion and for a very lucid explanation of the most important takeaways with commitments to revive the economy by increasing spending and big ticket announcements in infrastructure investment which should lead to job creation the latest budget has given some cause for cheer after a bleak 2020 There were, of course, letdowns as well. For example, as Shugato pointed out, measures to increase cash in hand for the salaried middle class, as well as more interventions for those at the bottom of the pyramid, would have been welcome. In her speech, the finance minister said that India is well poised to be the land of promise and hope. Much of the responsibility for whether we live up to that promise lies squarely with the government, and the days to come. will reveal the extent to which that's being fulfilled in the meanwhile you can be sure that et's reporters will be bringing you all the top stories and developments around budget 2021-22 you've been listening to the morning brief and i'm indulekha arvind today's episode was edited by rachita prasad and anjali venugopalan and coordinated by anjali tell us what you thought about the podcast by writing in to us at the morning brief at timesgroup.com and if you like the episode do share it on your social media handles the morning brief airs every tuesday thursday and friday thank you for listening and have a great day dot com